the middle of a series that we're calling Great Lessons from the Lesser Known. And we're looking at lesser known characters, not unknown characters, but lesser known characters in scripture where, and we can learn some important life lessons from them. Just to go back a little bit, week number one, we took a look at a guy that's really not that unknown to those of us who grew up around church. His name is Gideon. Gideon was called from a life of insignificance to a life of significance. Remember, there was a group of people called the Midianites that were dominating the Israelites when, when Gideon was alive. And, and they were just trying to survive. The Midianites would come in, just steal everything they had every harvest. I'm just eat up all their food, do all kinds of bad stuff. And so Gideon had harvested a little of his wheat and he was hiding in a wine press threshing that wheat and grinding that wheat so that uh, they could make a little bread just to get by, just to survive. That's all they wanted to do. They didn't care about they, anything else. They just wanted to live another day. And the angel of God appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And of course, he's looking around like some must be somebody beside me in this particular wine press here. But I particularly like uh, Gideon's response. I brought it up again because in Judges chapter 6 and verse 13, here's Gideon's response. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? Why is all this bad stuff going on? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? How about all this stuff that, that the old people told us about? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Actually, what happened is that Israel had abandoned God. And that's the reason they were in the hand of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him. Here's God's answer. Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Take what you have right now. Don't wait until, you, until everything is, is wonderful. Don't wait until conditions are ideal. Take what you have right now. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And a little bit later said, the reason this works is because I am with you. So uh, Gideon's a great guy. Last week, we took a journey with a young Egyptian woman named Hagar, who was sold into slavery when she was just a young girl. She was sold to a couple of well-known Bible characters by the name of Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah. We don't know the details of everything that happened in Hagar's life, but as we looked at her life, we saw that God was with her through some tough situations that made absolutely no sense. And yet God took care of her and he blessed her in a really great way. And the theme that we've been looking at each Sunday is this particular theme. God can use anyone to accomplish great things. You don't have to be some great person. Uh, you don't have to have all kinds of resources at your disposal. God can use anyone to accomplish great things. Now, today we're actually going to discuss two guys. One is given a name in scripture and one is not. Now you've probably, or you may have heard of this first guy, Jonathan is his name. He was the son of the first king of Israel, a guy by the name of Saul, King Saul. As the firstborn, he should have become the next king of Israel, but he didn't. The other guy that we're going to talk about is never named. He is simply called Jonathan's armor bearer. He's the guy who carried Jonathan's gear for him when Jonathan went to battle. Armor bearer might be likened to a caddy in golf, although the caddy never hits a shot for the golfer and sometimes the armor bearer actually wielded a sword. But uh, uh, I likened him to that because he's the encourager, the, the sounding board, the guide you know, for the golfer. 
the armor bearer was Jonathan's wingman in a sense because the armor bearer sometimes had to protect the warrior's flank and go to battle with him. Uh, he was a guy that was absolutely committed to his guy, his warrior, with him all the time, standing behind him, encouraging him. So today what we're going to look at is two powerful proclamations made by these two guys that led to great victory uh, in this situation. A little background always helps the situation, so let me kind of bring you up to date. Among the numerous people that dominated the nation of Israel at different times were maybe their arch enemies, the Philistines. Most of you remember uh, a guy by the name of Goliath of, of Gath. He was about nine and a half feet tall. And by the way, there have been skeletal remains discovered from this time period in, in that size range, so it's not totally uh, amazing. But this guy opposed the uh, Israeli troops a little bit later in Saul's reign, but I just bring him up to say he was a Philistine. But Israel was at, under Philistine domination when Saul became the first king of Israel. And God led Saul to rebel against the Israelites. Actually, it wasn't Saul. It was Saul's son who did the deed by attacking a Philistine garrison, and it made the Philistines really mad. And this is what they did. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That just means there was a bunch of them. And when you looked at them, it scared the bejeebers out of you. They went and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. And I just highlighted that because I'm going to show you a, a map in a moment that has Michmash on it. Verse 6, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical, they looked out and they thought, there is no way. When they saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, what did they do? They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some of them, verse 7 says, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Uh, that is, they went over to the enemy. They said, we're going to the side of the winners. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops were with him, with him were quaking with fear. And then comes this well-known story of how Saul was supposed to make, wait for Samuel to do a sacrifice, and he didn't wait, and he got into trouble. And then we get to verse 15, 1 Samuel 13, 15. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Now, Saul had gathered an army originally of about 3,000. Where were the other 2,400 men? They were in the rocks and in the pits and went over to the enemy's side. They were hiding. They were quaking with fear. Most of them were just terrified. Even the guys left. Verse 16 says, Saul and his son Jonathan... And the men with them were staying at Gibeah, or actually a city called Geba in Benjamin, while the Philistines camped at Michmash. I like to make things historical, so look at this map with me for just a minute, if you will. Uh, there's a, a, a line drawn on the left side that says Philistia. That's where these Philistines dominated. And when they got ready for a meal, they just went over into Israel and ate everything they had. Saul was what, from way up there around Gilgal, where the blue arrow is, uh, and so the the Philistines came to the city of Michmash. Can you see that right up there? And just below that, the city of Geba. And I got another map that kind of gets in a little bit closer. 
just showing these two little teeny insignificant places and between them runs a wadi or a dry riverbed and on each side the land kind of slopes down in the middle which would become a battlefield and there's some rocky crags you know you'd have to go down the slopey parts but there's some parts where you'd have to climb straight up in order to get there now it was a bad situation for Israel 600 of them there were 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and way more soldiers than that uh, and, and besides being vastly outnumbered, the Israelites were also outgunned. The Philistines had not allowed the Israelites to uh, sharpen their tools or make any swords. If you wanted to sharpen your plow, you had to go to a Philistine to get that done. So every soldier in the Philistine army had a sharpened weapon, a sword or a spear or one of each. And nobody in Israel's army had anything but a farm implement to fight with. 1 Samuel 13, 22 says, so on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So the king and the king's son had a sword and a spear, but nobody else. Verse 23, now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. So the Israelite army sat discouraged and diminished on one side of this ravine, this wadi that ran through there. And on the other side uh, stood the Philistine army, powerful, ferocious, confident, well-trained, well-armed. And there's a battle coming. Nobody knows exactly when, but they knew that people would die when the battle came. Even the vastly superior army of the Philistines knew that some of them would have to die if they fought these, uh, Philist uh, these Israelites. And so these armies were working themselves up into a frenzy, one on each side, and one thing was absolutely certain. If those 600 Israelites went to war against the thousands of Philistines, those 600 guys were going to die. There would be families without fathers and families without brothers and families without husbands in them. And then the hero of the story decided to cross that ravine over to the enemy and see what God might do. So we get to 1 Samuel 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, now there's our guy, and his young armor bearer, there's our other guy that we're looking at, right? And so he says, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. I don't recommend that, you know, if, if you're under your father's uh, rule, but he didn't. Verse two, Saul was staying on the outs outskirts of Gibeah or Geba, under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were those 600 guys, right? Verse three says, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, we're gonna get to the details in a couple of minutes, but Jonathan and his armor bear cross the mile. There's about a mile between these two cities that we're talking about. So they crossed the mile of that dried up riverbed that separated the troops. They confronted a detachment of Philistine soldiers and they killed all 20 of the soldiers in that particular uh, detachment. Then God sends panic throughout the Philistine army and they don't know what to do, so they start killing each other. Meanwhile, Saul didn't even know anything was going on, but he had his lookouts, you know, and their scopes looking across over there and they noticed something was going on and so they decided 
let's go and see what it is. And so they took off across there. When they realized that the Philistines were killing each other, they helped them finish off. And all the people that had deserted came out of the holes and came out of the cisterns and came back from uh, going over to the enemy side. And they won a great victory over the Philistines. That day, God gave them complete victory. And my thought today is that such a great victory would never have happened had it not been for Jonathan and his armor bearer stepping out by faith and because of the two powerful proclamations that these guys made. Jonathan made a very powerful statement followed by the armor bearer. And here are those two very powerful statements of faith. 1 Samuel 14, moving on to verse 4. A little bit more description of the territory. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bazez and the other Senna. Verse 5, one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. And here's this statement, perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from, from saving, whether by many or by few. We're gonna step out by faith. I believe this is what we should do. And here was the answer, verse seven. Do all that you have in mind, as armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Pow two powerful statements. Look at the first one, powerful statement number one, or if we're just gonna call perhaps the Lord, right? Perhaps the Lord. Perhaps, uh, Let's read that verse again, 1 Samuel 14, 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can stop God. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. If that's what God decides he's going to do, there is nothing that can stop him. It may be that the Lord will work for us that is a statement of faith that he made. Perhaps the Lord, it may be that the Lord will work for us because nothing can stop. It shows that Jonathan knew that what he was about to undertake could not be accomplished by his own power. It all depended on whether or not God decided that was what was going to happen. By the way, I think it, it expresses a degree of doubt because faith always involves doubt. Jonathan knew for certain that God could deliver Israel. Jonathan knew for certain that it didn't make any difference how small Israel's army was and how great the Philistines' army was. God could defeat them. But he may not have been absolutely certain that it was right then, right there, that it was going to happen. And he might not have been absolutely certain that he was going to live through it. It might have required him giving his life and his armor bearer giving his life. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Uh, that's what faith is all about. While faith is not foolishness, by the way, it always involves this word right here, risk. Faith always involves a little bit of risk. Now, some of you are probably, perhaps the Lord, kind of thinkers by nature. God made you in such a way that you see a problem and rather than waiting for somebody else to solve it, you say, perhaps the Lord wants me to jump in here. 
Perhaps the, uh, the Lord wants me to take charge of this situation and lead people in this. History is made by perhaps the Lord people. Perhaps the Lord people are faith leaders. Let's look at that second statement. Powerful statement number two. I am with you, heart and soul. After Jonathan said the perhaps the Lord statement, we have 1 Samuel 14, 7. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. It's easy to say, go ahead and do it. It's hard to say, I'm with you, heart and soul. As Jonathan's armor bearer, this young man was required. He probably would have lost his life if he refused to do what Jonathan ordered him to do. So to say I'm with you, that's what he had to do. But those words, heart and soul, that steps up to another level. The armor bearer said to him, I am not just with you. I, I just, it's not, I think it's a pretty good idea. I am with you, heart and soul. I go with you, I live with you, I die with you. Whatever happens, I'm with you. Think about the extra confidence that must have given to the warrior, to Jonathan. Jonathan felt that God wanted him to put his life on the line to save the Israelites from the Philistines. And when he expressed to his, this to his armor bearer, the armor bearer didn't just say, yeah, you know, that sounds like it might be a pretty good idea. Why don't you do that? He said, do everything you have in mind. I am with you, heart and so I'm with you 100%. I got your back. You die, I die. You go, you go. You stop, I stop. I believe we can do it. Some of you are energized by that heart and soul comment. Uh, when a, perhaps the Lord uh, person says something, you say, I believe we should. I'm ready. I'm supporting you. I'm with you all the way. And you get behind people and you stand faithfully with people and you are a heart and soul person. I remember when this particular church body build, building was located in the Brownsville area. And we knew it was time to relocate from that area. And we prayed about it. And we'd, we'd done Bible studies about it. We talked about it. And finally it came time for me as the leader to say, let's do it. And I said, let's do it. And in order... Before we could just do it, we had to have a business meeting to vote to do it. And so it was a typical Baptist business meeting, uh, time for the congregation to vote, to sell everything we had and do something else. And it was tense. And some people said some things they shouldn't have said. And some people said some hurtful things. And somebody said, I think we should vote by secret ballot so that nobody's feelings will get hurt. And I'm not against secret ballot in an appropriate time, but I said, no, I don't think we ought to do that because I need to know. I need to know who will stand with me in this particular move. Who will stand up and say, I am with you, heart and soul, and don't say it unless you mean it. I'd rather for you to say, no, I'm not doing it than to say it and not do. I am with you, heart and soul. And I'll always be thankful for the heart and soul people who stood together to do that particular thing. We think about Raymond C. again this morning. He was one of those guys, you know, that stood with me, who said, do all you have in mind. I am with you heart and soul. Now, here's the question. 
Which one of these are you? Do you identify more with Jonathan and perhaps God? Perhaps, I'll take the lead. Perhaps God wants us to get out here and do this particular thing. Or are you more with his armor bearer who says, I am with you, heart and soul? It takes both kinds. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're a little bit of both. Most of us are not all one thing or all another thing. Uh, and you probably are a little bit of both based on the situation. But if you had to choose, think about it a minute. If you had to choose and say, this is where I'm most comfortable, where would it be? Would it be perhaps God? Or would it be I am with you heart? And so I want you to think about that for just a minute because I just have a couple of pieces of advice I'd like to give you. How, how can I nurture who God has made me to be? What should I do about it? And two things, here's the first thing I would encourage you to do. Lean into it, but don't lock onto it. Don't apologize or deny how God has made you. Don't try to be somebody that you are not. Whether you're primarily a, God, a perhaps God person or primarily I am uh, with you heart and soul person, lead into it. God needs both kinds of people. God needs all kinds of people. Think about it, embrace it. Yeah, this is usually what I am. This is what I am most comfortable doing. But don't lock into that too tightly. Perhaps God people, if you think to yourself, yeah, that's what I am, I'm a perhaps God person. There may be times when you need to be a little heart and soul for somebody else's dream. It may not always be about your dream and what God is leading you to do. It may be a, a, more about someone else's direction from God and you need to be their heart and soul. So don't be so full of yourself that you can't recognize and do that. And realize also, by the way, Sometimes heart and soul people, I mean, sometimes perhaps God, people, they see a good idea and they think, well, let's do it. Let's, let's go do it. Uh, well, not every good idea is, uh, not every opportunity is really a good God opportunity. So always seek God's wisdom. Here's the second thing. Uh, heart and soul person. There may be times when God wants you to take the lead. There may be times when God uses you to express the vision. There may come a, God wants me to do it in your lifetime. Do it, if that's what God leads you to do. And, and, and just because you're the kind of person that says, I love supporting other, other people, doesn't mean you just have to support everybody. Some people are just nutty, you know, some people are crazy. They're not really from God at all. So embrace the way God has designed you, but always seek wisdom. Lean into it, but don't lock into it. Realize who you are. Realize how God wants to use you because he needs you. If he designed you that way, he needs you. And, and the, the last thing I want to say to you about this is look and listen. Look. Look for opportunities to use the way God has wired you. I think Jonathan was looking. I don't think he was sitting around sharpening his sword saying, I'm the only guy around here with a sword. I think he was thinking about God and thinking about the power of his God and thinking about those people that were against the people of God and looking for an opportunity to say, perhaps God wants us to do this so that we can accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. It appears that his armor bearer was looking for the opportunity. He was right there. And I don't think it took him very long that said, do whatever is on your heart to do. I am with you heart and soul. Be aware be looking for opportunities 
to be what God designed you to be because we can let things come, go by us all day, every day while we're waiting for somebody to say something to us, while we're waiting for somebody to tell us what to do, while we're waiting for conditions to be exactly right, while the television is on or while we have our face in a book or while we're running a race or whatever we happen to be doing. So always look for opportunities to use what God has wired you to be. And secondly, listen. Listen to wise counsel. Listen for God to speak to you through his word, through wise friends, through circumstances. Almost every journey, especially uh, journeys into the unknown, are a, a, a series of constant corrections. You know, kind of, it's not, it's kind of back and forth, back and forth. God is continually nudging us a little bit more this way, a little bit more that way. God is sometimes pulling us back, said, whoa, whoa, not, not, not so fast, a little bit slower. He's pushing us forward saying, all right, it's time. Get on out there and do it. Jonathan continually listened to God. Even after he got started, even after they made those great statements and they were crossing the mile. It took them a while to get across the mile because that's not an easy mile to cross. So they're heading across that mile. And once they decided to, to get across the ravine, they're heading across the ravine. And, and once the, the armor bearer had said, I'm with you heart and soul, we come to 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 8. Jonathan said, walking across the wadi, Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to let them see us. No, no element of surprise involved here, right? We're going to let them spot us. Verse 9, if they say to us, wait, wait there until we come to you, then we're going to stay where we are and not go up to them. That will be the plan, but... If they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Every step of the way, Jonathan was listening for God. Every step of the way, Jonathan was learning from others. Every step of the way, he was open to whatever it was they were supposed to be doing. And by the way, they said, come on up here, you chicken-hearted Israelites. And that's exactly what happened. They had to scale uh, a wall. Maybe they, they didn't come up the way the Philistines were expecting them, and they won the great victory. <clears throat> You're probably primarily one of these kinds of people, either a perhaps God person or I am with you heart and soul person. In the coming weeks and months, we as a church are going to be taking some steps forward to do, I think, some greater things for God. And I want you to be praying daily about that and asking God for wisdom. What, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want us to do, God? How do you want me to proceed, God? How, how do you want me to act, God? And if God calls you to do something, by the way, just do it. Don't delay. Don't wait for the this, this special time. If God calls you to go, go. If God calls you to give, give. If God calls you to help, help. If God calls you to do it, just do it. Don't say, well, one of these days, one of these days, things are going to be right, and, and, and then I'm really, I'm going to be a giant for Christ, you know, when, when that happens. Don't do that. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says this, and this is repeated a couple times in the New Testament. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. If God is leading you, if God is touching you, if God is drawing you to do anything, do it now. Don't wait till next week, next month next year. 
If you need some help and guidance in any area, if it's about trusting Christ as your Savior, if it's about how to follow God or what's the next step in my life, then call on one of us. Call on James or call on Christian or call on Todd or call on me or call on whoever you happen, one of our wives, whoever you happen to feel close to uh, in this group. And we will make ourselves available to you. Let us help. We want to do that. We want to stand beside you. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage you. And we want you to be what God would have you to be. Let's bow our heads together and pray, shall we? Father, I know you're here with us today, and I thank you for that. We don't always know exactly what step to take next, but as you make it known, help us to take that step without having to know what 10 steps down the road is like or a year or a month uh, down the road. Grant us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.